When the thought occurs about drinking alcohol, which comes quite frequently, it's just a matter of time before I have a drink. I'm ready to go. And I said, I don't know how to react. I don't have to. And he says, you're, he says, you're not responsible, John, for what you think. You're responsible for how long you entertain the subject that you're thinking about. He said, what you do, the next time you have a thought about taking a drink, as soon as you realize that, you immediately stop and you ask God to remove that thought from you. That prayer I said over and over again. One day it occurred to me, I'm not saying it so much. (laughs) It was kind of an emotional time because one day it occurred to me, I'm not having that thought. Something's going on. I can't tell you what it is, but I know it started when I'm in the midst of this path through the steps with my sponsor. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, that was the voice of Mr. John D. Not John M., but John D. that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you're going to hear so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, we got to get out of the way here. This episode right here, right now, is brought to you by Mr. Timothy. Timothy went to our website, Soberspeak.com. He clicked on the little yellow donate tab and he made a contribution. Thank you so much, Mr. Timothy, for your generosity. This episode is for you, as I guess Elvis would say. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Ah. Anyway, I... John M. will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. All right, so what do I want to tell you today? All right, so the next live event that we will have, Sober Speak Live, it's going to be a big shindig again. We'll feature Sumera S., from the Clean Air North Group here in North Texas on March 20th, Friday at 7 o'clock p.m. And all of the information, including uh, the the address uh, for the event, which is Grace Avenue United Methodist Church in Frisco, is located on our website, uh, www.soberspeak.com. And uh, just so you know, the one after that, 
will be on June 5th, Friday, and it'll be for, it'll be with David G. And many of you know him from listening to the podcast and the one, and then we'll also have Gary K on December 4th. Yes. The same Gary K that is here on the podcast. The only speaker that I do not have uh, nailed down at this moment is for September 4th. So I guess just keep that in mind. We're going to have a live event on March 20th and on June 5th and on September 4th and December 4th. The last three at least are all Friday. Uh, uh, well, they're all Fridays at 7 p.m. In fact, uh, at Grace Avenue United Methodist Church. And that's where we are going to be. If You know what? If you happen to be located here in the North Texas area um, and you would be willing and or able to post a flyer uh, at your group or other groups that you possibly attend, just uh, send me an email to john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, and I will send you a flyer that we have prepared already, and you could just print it out like a most wanted poster and put it in uh, uh, at in your group or at your treatment center or wherever you are. This It's a it, it's an open AA meeting, all these Sober Speak Live events, and all are welcome to attend. Uh, duh, 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 duh. All right, let's just go on into Mr. John D. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna love this episode here. So John D. Oh, has been sober for quite some time. He is going to talk about that right on the beginning of this episode because I asked him his sobriety date. Um, what a fantastic man! He comes from an Irish Catholic family. Uh, his favorite hangout back in. Uh, St. Louis was called the Aerospace Lounge. Uh, do you have a favorite hangout that you used to hang in? Uh, hopefully it's a former hangout. <laughs> but uh, he also talks about his uh, bride, Patricia, and how he almost lost her due to his bout with alcoholism. And now they have been married since 1964. Little known fact about John, one of his favorite authors is Charles Dickens, and we talk about that during the podcast. Uh, he comes from a background of uh, uh, a legal background uh, as a lawyer. Uh, we talk about his uh, difficulties getting through law school and passing the bar exam. And uh, one thing we didn't discuss on this episode, which will be helpful for you all to know, uh, I did not know until right before we started to record that John D had had stents put in his heart and he was still in the process of recovering. Now, had I known this before he got over, I would have asked him if he wanted to reschedule the recording, but I didn't know it. And uh, he simply wanted to keep keeping on carrying the message. Uh, John D is just a wonderful man. He's a treasure. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, it just meant the world to me. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. John D. Keep in mind, we will have plenty, plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. John D. So John D., first things first. I am going to ask you to introduce yourself and to give your sobriety date if you wish to do such, please. Sure, John. Thanks. Um, my name is uh, John D. 
And my sobriety date is October the 18th, 1971. And that was October 8th, 1971. Uh, 18th. 18th. Yes. How many years is that, sir? Uh, well, let me just pass 48. 48. Yeah. All right. So here is the job that we have before us, and that is how do we cover your life before AA and your 48 years in Alcoholics Anonymous within a, just under an hour? <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll be interesting. That will be interesting. Yeah, for sure. All right. So mm. where do you want to start, John? I mean, where, you know, I mean, do you want to go back to the beginning? You want to start? Uh, what, what, you have had, I'm sure, so many milestones within Alcoholics Anonymous. Really? Uh, yes, I was... It's hard to uh, separate the wheat from the chafe in, in this circumstance. Uh, what comes to mind first for you? Well, what comes to mind first is, um, you know, I came from a family uh, that uh, drinking was a big part of it, Irish Catholic, you know. and I mean, uh, that's just what they did every occasion. And so I obviously felt that, you know, there's a lot of things we can't do, but we can sure drink. <laughs> and uh and and all the gatherings, somebody you know, there was just plenty of booze to go around. And uh, and then as my situation began to deteriorate, I um, I re, I was thinking, God, I, I you know, am I a problem drinker? And and I, because I really, I remember saying, I really don't want to be an alcoholic. <laughs> and then as my life progressed, and I uh, and it became apparent what I was. My next prayer was. Uh, I really don't want uh, Alcoholics Anonymous to be the answer. <laughs> and then as that progressed, my next prayer was, and I don't want God to be at the bottom of all this. <laughs> so those are my big three, all of which I'm batting zero on, But uh, which was the beauty of alcohol and alcoholism, that it gets rid of a lot of these um, social or mental blocks. And uh, the day came when I was absolutely delighted I had a place to go. And uh, so... Uh, it be you know I my my story is probably not different than a lot of people's stories. I had the incidents that occurred along the way. I remember uh, uh, driving home from a joint one night and it's three o'clock in the morning, and I at the time I had a '65 Volkswagen Beetle, and uh, and I knew I needed tires, but I I just you know you can always push tires. You can always get another week out of them, right? Right. And so if, if your options are on a Friday or Saturday night to go to Sears and buy tires or to go to the uh, to the aerospace lounge, how hard a decision is that? Right, right? the aerospace lounge. Exactly, exactly. And, and I always had this notion of how cool it would be or it is to go into a bar and have a couple of drinks and decompress. My problem is once I got into the bar, I always changed my mind from a couple of drinks to what's the rush, <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, so I remember driving home from the aerospace lounge one night. It was about three in the morning. Rain, I was living in St. Louis at the time, three in the morning. And uh, we were, uh, I was driving down uh, uh, Hanley Road, which was right off from where, where the lounge was, of course. And, and after I drove about a mile or two, and the outstanding thing is it took me a mile or two for this sensory input to reach my brain. And, and the input was there's something wrong with the back of the car. You're driving as though you've got a flat tire. And so I pulled over, of course, like you know any responsible person would do. And I pulled over and I got out and I walked around 
And sure enough, the right rear tire was flat as a pancake. So I you know, what are you going to do at three in the morning? And, uh, you don't call somebody. <laughs> and so I got the jack out and I got the spare out and the lug wrench and, and I was getting all this set up and to change the tire. And I was walking around from the right-hand side to the left-hand side because I left the car door open on the left-hand side. And these people driving by were kind of shouting encouragement of some sort to me. <laughs> and, uh, so I find, and I, as I walked around, I noticed not only was my right rear tire flat, my left rear tire was flat. Oh, no. And I, I jokingly reflect that, you know, having two flats at one time, if I had that right now, it would still be a problem because I only carry one spare. And, uh, but if it's 3 in the morning and you're drunk, it's an insurmountable problem. <laughs> uh, and I remember thinking, what to do? And, 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 and the only thing I could come up with is saying, I'm not having two flat tires and I'm going home. So I got in the car and drove away. I didn't put the spare tire back in. I didn't put the jack off. The jack, his car was still jacked off. I just drove off the jack. Oh, no. And, uh, and after a while, it, you know, at the beginning, the rubber makes a terrible racket. But then after a while, it goes away. <laughs> and it's just steel against concrete. And, man, did I have a spark show going on behind the car. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I drove into the parking lot of my apartment and they had just asphalted it that day, a new asphalt surface. And that's the day I grooved in. Mm. And when I come home from an event like that, an occurrence like that, not always tired, but, you know, some incident, I'm indignant. How can this happen to me? You know? And I, and I walk into the house and slam the car door. The next morning is a work day. <laughs> and it occurs to me when I woke up, I've got a car in the parking lot with no rear tires on it, <laughs> and I got to go to work. And uh, it's one thing to, coming home is indignant uh, that way, but waking up to the reality of it, I'm thinking, I can't cope with this. And so that was back in the days when Patricia, my wife, would still call in for me. So I, I had to have the flu again. Right. And uh, she called in. And, and like Norm Alpe says in his talk, uh, he said, he, he has the flu, all right. He flew under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I take the day off, get a tow truck, tow the car into the shop. So earlier I needed two tires. Now I need two tires, two rims, a hubcap, a lug wrench, a jack, all the stuff I left. You know, when it's time to go, it's time to go, right? <laughs> And so uh, I, it's one thing to drive home from a joint without tires. It's another thing at 8 in the morning to go to work without tires. And nobody does that. You may have noticed. Mm. Nobody sits at a stop sign sipping coffee with no rear tires. <laughs> anyway, th these incidents started occurring in my life. I was, uh, I went, we were first married. And this is back, of course, in 64 when we got married. And I just started law school. And, uh, and so, you know, it's a Friday night, the first Friday or second Friday night, somewhere in there right after law school. And, and I told, I said, Patricia, I'm going to go to the library and do some research. We've got this paper to do. You know, I, I like to car joke with people now. The library is where they keep books, in case anyone doesn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, um, I said, I'm going to the library. It closes about 1030. I'll see you, you know, 15 after that. Uh, and, and off I went to the library. Well, I never made it to the library, but I made it reasonably close to the library where there's a bar. And I thought, well, I'll just stop in and have a, a beer or two because we all know that helps legal research, right? Correct. <laughs> and so uh, I went into the, and I never got out of the bar until they closed it. And, uh, and I was driving home that night and 
blink of an eye. I don't know what happened. I'm distracted. I look up and there's a post in front of me and I hit the post and immediately following hitting the post, my mouth hit the steering wheel and knocked my two front teeth out. So oh, yeah. <laughs> here I am. I, I, I was thinking, God, I know you don't back up time, but I don't need to go far. Right. <laughs> I just need to go to the period where I had teeth. And if you could just, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> of course, you didn't do that. I came home. I woke Patricia up two in the morning instead of 10 15, 10 45. And uh, she's, you know, I said, Patricia, I said this. And, and I woke her up and I don't have front teeth and my lips are all bleeding and I'm bleeding all over the place. And I tried to explain to her, don't worry about it. I got it all figured out. <laughs> I'll get a rotten job. I'll get the teeth fixed. And this is a time where, you know, if we made a week without going in the red, it was a miracle. And, right. Uh, um, and so, of course, I couldn't get the teeth fixed right away. We went to the dentist the next day. It was a Saturday. Driving home from the dentist, she said, I can't do anything. I got to put it. So driving home from the dentist, I said to Patricia, I said, you know, tonight's Bob Bob's party. He and his wife, Jody, are, are throwing a party for, you know, meet your fellow students deal. And uh, and she looked at me and she said, you're not planning on going to the party, are you? And I said, why not? The incident was last night. <laughs> and she said, but you don't have any teeth. <laughs> anyway, I heard about this technique. Uh, technique. Uh, and people in my predicament. And that is that, that if you take some paraffin wax, you can kind of fashion some teeth. And and, and it'll at least be white, you know, uh, where that should be white. And uh, And so I did. I put this paraffin wax in and I... Even had a little line going down the middle. Uh, and so, look, <clears throat> from a distance, it looked like you had teeth. But up close, it looked like paraffin wax, you know. <laughs> and, of course, you can't eat with paraffin teeth. <laughs> but who's going to eat? Another one of my uh, – now, you may have noticed that Norm Alpey is one of my favorite speakers. I first got sober. But Norm was saying the best booze and elk you ever drank was somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Bob was paying for the booze that night. And then I thought, you know – I want to go drink some of his booze. And yeah, we went to the, uh, it's a hard to get to that circumstance when you show up at the party and I've learned one lesson and I'm fortunate I didn't have to use it again, but the lesson is always have a story prepared before you get there. That's right. Because the first thing they say is, John, <laughs> we, yesterday you had tea and tonight <laughs> you have paraffin wax there. What, what's, you know, what's the deal? And I, and on the spur of the moment, I had to come up with a story and I said, you know, uh, <clears throat> I was driving home from the library. I stuck with that. Uh, you stuck with that? Well, I was close. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was driving home from the direction of the library. I guess it would be more accurate. And uh, a deer ran out in front of my car, and I swerved to miss it and hit a post. Okay, it's 1964. It's downtown St. Louis <laughs> where the law school is. And there's no deer and antelope right. at roaming, you know. And, of course, I got the quizzical look back like, a deer, you know, and uh, uh, but once you get a story out there, you know you got to stick with it. And uh, I just, I got to ride this baby out, you know. And uh, anyway, so we, <clears throat> things like this started showing up in my life. <clears throat> I mean, things went obviously from bad to worse. I, and that the the thing that is so astounding when I look back on my life is the fact that I could not see the decline as it was occurring. Mm -hmm. It just was, I couldn't see it, you know, because it was always circumstances. It was always somebody else had they. It was always something other than my desire to drink and what it did and what price I paid to get to go do it. And and, and that's what I, I was um, 
graduated law school, somehow I miraculously made it through law school, mm. and uh, which is the hand of God. And I look back again in my life, I say, man, how, how often you were there, God. And I didn't even thank you at the time because I didn't see your presence. And uh, But um, I did graduate, and I had a job at a aircraft company in St. Louis, which is a pretty nice job. Uh, <clears throat> the reason I had to get that job is because I had just taken a bar exam and didn't do very well. <laughs> and so... In a sequence, I uh, I flunked the bar exam, and uh, which didn't surprise me really. And uh, and then I uh, was at working at the at the aircraft company, and and I just lived for weekends. To me, weekends was where the action was. And, and I mean, it didn't, I, I don't have any money. We're living, you know. I have two kids now. Uh, I owe a huge debt to the uh, for going to school. Uh, the uh, but the weekends were like, on Friday night, I could drink with impunity. It mm. seemed like I could just drink until it was over Saturday night and Sunday night. And Sunday night, I could just stop. I, I just, I could do that. You're 26. You can drink like crazy and then quit, and then the next day look normal. Well, you can for a while. <laughs> I remember because this one morning, and I don't remember the exact day. I do remember it was in August, and, and it had to be uh, <clears throat> had to be in a... Uh, 69, yeah, 69. And I was sitting in this my office, which was a huge office. It was 300-plus uh, people, desk butted up together, two phones on every desk, just a chaotic cir uh, circumstance surrounding. But it was it was a fun place to work because there's always something going on, you know. And, and this one morning I'm sitting there, and I had just finished drinking like a mad dog over the weekend and then quit, and here I am. Monday morning in the office, and I'm thinking, something's happening. I mean, I, I, I'm not functioning. I can't keep a logical thought going in my mind. I'm losing something here. And, and then it occurred to me, I said, you're going crazy is what you're doing. <laughs> this is how it looks. Wow. And I say, well, what do you do? You're in the contracts department on a Monday morning at 10 a.m., and you can't act out like some maniac, you know? So I got up and walked out. My wife took me to the... <clears throat> She says, what do you want to do? I said, I need to go to the hospital. I know when I'm in trouble. And when I'm there, I'm ready for any help I can get my hands on. So she went over and we checked me into the emergency room at uh, St. John's Hospital. And uh, when you walk in any hospital, the first question is, what seems to be the problem? Right. <clears throat> I remember him asking me that. I'm thinking, this is great. I can get this thing out on the table and we can get it resolved. And so I started answering the question of what seems to be the problem, but instead of coming out with some sort of a coherent answer, when I reflect back, it seems as though I said every word I knew in no particular order without punctuation. And the more I talked, the more quizzical <laughs> their expression became. And, and, and then at the end of it, I thought, well, I'll bring this all together, and they'll go, oh, you know, and they'll all coalesce. Uh, but when I uh, got finished, they just said, um, well, sir, we, we think you ought to check into the hospital. <laughs> and they put me in a psychiatric ward, and uh, which looking back on it at the time, I really loved it. It was a brand-new hospital, the Ward 3B psychiatric ward. I had a green wristband so I could roam the grounds, but they all knew where my home was, <laughs> the psychiatric ward. And I found it to be a rather great experience, except that uh, – you could, if you go to buy cigarettes, they'd sell you cigarettes, but they wouldn't say, give me matches. Oh, <laughs> because no. of the green wristband. 
or you could buy a razor but no blades. You know, there were certain <laughs> limits on what green wristbands can do. So, uh, in any event, uh, I was assigned this psychiatrist who was beautiful. This guy was absolutely beautiful. Somewhere around session three or four, early in our experience together, um, he said that, um, how much do you drink? And, and I, I didn't mention drinking in any introductory comments or anything. And he says, how much do you drink? And without any coaching from anybody, I knew we're on dangerous turf here. Mm. And, and I don't want to get into this one and, and get off it as soon as you can. So I took the, my quantity I, and I have that or quartered it. I, can't, I reduced it substantially. I remember that. And so based on my lie, he said I was an alcoholic. And I'm thinking, I, I, I was thinking, he didn't really use the word alcoholic. He said, he said you're the type of personality, he said, that um, if you drink alcohol, uh, something happens to you. And, uh, and if you don't, you seem to lead a normal life. So did you have an inkling at this time that alcohol was your primary issue, so to speak? I had... I knew without a doubt that alcohol was my savior. Alcohol was what's going to get me through this game we call life, you know. And 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 he took my biggest lie. See, I, I at the time thought quantity had something to do with it, and it, it wasn't until later I realized it's what it does to you, not how much it takes to do that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, you know. And so we went this whole deal, and I'm still seeing him. I can't. I left the hospital a handful of pills and prescriptions, as they normally do. And I was gone, maybe I don't know. Uh, uh, only several months, and I was seeing him periodically. And then the last visit I had with him, <clears throat> he says something's different. And we went back and forth and did that dance a while, and then. I, and then he, I said, well, you know, I went to a party the other night, and I had four beers, and I didn't finish the fourth one, and it was no big deal. And he goes, that's what's different. You're back to drinking. I said, you didn't listen to me, did you? <laughs> I you said, I had me. four beers, and it, see, it seemed so important to me that the last beer wasn't finished. Mm-hmm. I showed such willpower, right. and I walked away from it. And, 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 he, and, and I said, I don't... Uh, you know, that wasn't what I said. You know, I went through the and, and And he said, you're 26 years old. Seven, eight months ago, you were a patient in a psychiatric ward solely because of your drinking. And now you've gone back to drinking, and you're sitting here telling me it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. And my first reaction was, is there a point here? <laughs> <laughs> what do we What's do? What's the point? Yeah, yeah. And, and, he, and he was very nice. He said, uh, there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing medicine can do for you. He says, the best thing that can happen to you is you bounce in and out of places like this. And he says, if you're lucky. He says, and one day you'll die from it or you'll commit suicide. That's the future for people like you. Sounds very similar to the conversation that um, Dr. Jung had with uh, Roland. Oh, I love that. I love that part of the book. I love that. The introduction. I love... Uh, Silkworth, in the doctor's opinion, second version, second su- supplement, where he talks about what's necessary for me to have is a complete psychic change, whatever that is. And then when you, the next story where I come up to is Roland, right? And he's in, he's in Switzerland, and, and uh, he thought he gained such insight into himself. A relapse is unthinkable. And <clears throat> yet on the way home, he gets drunk. Right. And then he goes back, and, and, and uh, 
And Dr. Silkworth says, I mean, uh, Dr. Young says to him, you know, he said, uh, once in a while, here and there, there's recovery for people like you, but it takes a huge emotional rearrangement of everything important in your life and everything significant cast aside for a new set of values. And I'm thinking, God, what is that? I mean, but, <clears throat> you know, and so, I, I, I hear people talking. They, they say, well, you know, we're in a meeting. Someone say, well, my uncle has a drinking problem. It looks like he's going to die from it. And then the next question is the meeting. Well, did he ever try A? And, and, and it's kind of slough, like slough response. So, well, he tried it, but it didn't work. And I'm thinking, I want to say, did he get to step 10? And if he didn't get to step 10, I don't want to hear anything more from you. Mm. But if you got to step 10 and you're telling me it didn't work, I'm interested because we're talking about an exception in my opinion, because at the end of step 10, <clears throat> for this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recall from as though a hot flame. That's the miracle of it. It didn't happen with any effort or thought on our part. It's been removed. We haven't quit. The problem's been removed. And to, take, and to arrive at that place in life from a place when I wake up in the morning, and I'm in bed with Patricia, and and my first thought is, when and where am I going to get a drink? And we're going to resolve this before I get out of bed. Oh, I'm not getting out of bed. And once I had it resolved, then I had a goal. Shave, get out of that place, and get to where we're going to make the drink occur. To go from that person to a person that's seldom interested and if tempted will recall from it as a hot flame, and I haven't even quit. Bill Wilson never quit. In Towns Hospital, you removed from alcohol for the last time. He never said I quit. And when I get to step 10, the complete psychic change of, of uh, Silkworth and Young has occurred. And that's the first time we get evidence of its occurrences in at the end of step 10. And to me, that's just, because I didn't even know it occurred. <clears throat> All of a sudden, I'm going to meetings. I'm doing what my sponsor says, and he said, do this, do this, and I'm just singing like a baby half the time, complaining, and he's prodding and pushing, and uh, <clears throat> I'm working the steps in a very sloppy manner, I thought, but I'm working them. And one day it comes, and I can't tell you the day it came. All I know is I'm not interested in this anymore. <laughs> Incredible moment in my life. We will be continuing our conversation with John D. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. I may have put an extra W in there. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, there you'll find uh, approximately 120 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, and you can use it if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to John D. So, when you were describing that, in my head, what I'm thinking about is my experience with that reading through the book and realized that I had been placed in a position of neutrality where <clears throat> alcohol was concerned. It wasn't even 
I wasn't trying to get there. I didn't know. And all of a sudden, it just occurred, right? There's a lot of people listening right now who are thinking, how do I get from point A to point B? And so my question to you is, how do we connect the dots? And I think you talked about it, but I just want you to summarize it. How do you get from that point of struggling with alcohol all the time over to this where you go into step 10, and I know the passage you're talking about, and say, I have now been placed into a position of neutrality? A beautiful question. And uh, and to me, we're at, we're at a... Uh, we're at what a, a the crux of Alcoholics Anonymous. I can't tell you when or how. I do know that I'm working the steps. I'm going to meetings. I'm listening to my sponsor, and I do what he says to do. And and Patricia, we were separated. Judge Richburg, and she decided that I should relocate. That we got back together. Did you say Judge and Patricia decided that you should relocate? Yeah, well, that's what the judge. Yeah, judge. <laughs> I just said, does anybody remember Judge Richburg? And he's in Dallas. He was he was a law west of the Trinity, Judge Richburg, and uh, and and uh, he told me on a Sunday they opened court for my wife on a Sunday, <laughs> and uh, and he told her your husband needs to be out by two o'clock today. I knew he couldn't throw me out of my house. But I also, my thinking was, this is their plan. I won't leave. They'll arrest me. And three days later, they'll realize their error. And I've been in the bucket for three days. <laughs> so I wasn't going to play. <laughs> in any event, I, I got All right, I got you off track. So <laughs> That's okay. to, to connect the dots between a position of neutrality where alcohol is concerned and fighting that alcohol on a day-to-day basis, you don't know when or where it happened, but. I know trusting in my sponsor, who was my version of God at the time, trusting in my sponsor and what he said and working the program. One, I I remember saying to my sponsor, Clayton, I remember saying, Clayton, here's my problem. I've been in and out of AA three years before I met you, and and I was a perennial loser. And, and, uh, And I said, here's the problem. When the thought occurs about drinking alcohol, which comes quite frequently, it's just a matter of time before I have a drink. I'm ready to go. And I said, I don't know how to react. I don't have defense. And he says, you're, he says, you're not responsible, John, for what you think. You're responsible for how long you entertain the subject that you're thinking about. <clears throat> he said, what you do, the next time you have a thought about taking a drink, as soon as you realize that, you immediately stop and you ask God to remove that thought from you. And that prayer I said over and over again. And one day it occurred to me, I'm not saying it so much. (laughs) It was kind of an emotional time because one day it occurred to me, I'm not having that thought. Something's going on. I can't tell you what it is. But I know it started when I'm in the midst of this path through the steps with my sponsor and doing what he says, and, and he was a beautiful sponsor. I mean, I, he said, you're going to get in arguments with Patricia. And I said, but Clayton, she did something. He goes, let me give you a secret on your relationship with Patricia. Whenever you get in an argument, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, brother. <laughs> that was my default setting for the whole deal. And uh, in any event, so... I can't tell you when. I just know that prayer quit being said so much about not 
about not thinking about drinking. My reliance on God grew as I needed more things and our predicaments and circumstances. God, please remove this. Please direct me. Please guide me. Please. That reliance built, and and, uh, and I'm plugging through the steps, and things in life start happening. I lose loved ones. I, you know, uh, my mother-in-law, who I dearly loved, she was a beautiful. She was my champion when that was not a popular cause. She would come up with situations. She had. Uh, she, she relied on me for answers, and I'm thinking. <laughs> Do they know who they're talking to? I mean, this is the same guy that I, I hurt these people so bad. Anyway, uh, I can't, uh, all I know is one day that, I, that I'm that i at a place and I don't think about alcohol. It's not a problem. I go anywhere that I need to go, like the book says, so long as I'm there for a purpose. Do my job, get out, kiss everybody goodbye, and no one talks about me the next day. So long as your motives are right. Okay, so... I want to kind of back up here just a second, okay? I'm sitting across from you. You're talking about your experience with saying that prayer, and all of a sudden you noticed that you didn't have to say that prayer as much. I see that you're getting very choked up. And so for me, in my mind, what I'm thinking about, and it's hard to uh, explain to people, but try your best. You're talking about an incident in your life that occurred close to 50 years ago, 48 years ago. Exactly. And it still brings up some sort of uh, visceral response from inside you. And it's what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for you in your life, right? Are you able to put some words around that and explain why that gets you to such a place? As best I can verbalize, I uh, I was realizing that my prayers were being heard and answered. The book talks about God caring to be in our lives if we allow him. I think I'm more emotionally affected by I am now than I was when it occurred. Because I, I can see with such clarity reflection back on the hand of God throughout my life. We ran into each other at a party for given by a guy named Steve for a whole bunch of people where it's feeding them at Thanksgiving and it's just happenstance. I went to that party just because Steve asked me to go. I didn't want to hang around. I didn't want, you know, another, and I went and did that. And the next thing you know, our paths cross. Right. And a significant event occurs. And, and uh, it, it's just, it's just powerful stuff. And I think about that and I see God working in my life. Not occasionally, <laughs> but quite quite often, often on a daily basis. Right. So I mean, it's uh, 
powerful stuff. It's a realization now. Like I said, it's, it's more emotional now at the time I think, oh, thank you, God, down the road, you know, and uh, as though I had it coming. Yeah. <laughs> what I had coming was a lot worse, you know. Anything I I can uh, do, I get emotional when I get into the effect of God in my life. And, uh, uh, it's just powerful stuff, you know. We were catching up just a little before we started, kind of getting to know each other. And you threw out that quote, just kind of like off the top of your head by, uh, I believe it's uh, Charles Dickens, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, the opening line of David Copperfield. Yes. And and you were relating that actually to your life. Can can you talk about that? Well, I, 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 first of all, one of my favorite authors is Charles Dickens. And I, I, I read a lot of his books. And, and his opening lines are great, usually in his book. But in David Copperfield, which is my hat, my favorite book of Charles Dickens. He, he starts out in the opening lines. He says, whether I'm um, to be the hero of my own life or whether that station shall be held by anyone else, these pages must tell. Thought, wow. So how do you relate that to your life? I never thought that I would have an opportunity to get to be a hero of anything. And to get to, and get to, to go from what I consider the depths of depravity, alcoholism, active, drinking alcoholism, to a place where people treat me with regard. Wow, you know? And I, it seems to me Charles Dickens early in life realized what maybe his role might be to have a life that is, that is a substance. And I never really thought in terms of so existential of, of, of an issue. I always thought in terms of getting through today, making a whole bunch of money, and if you had to hurt some people, so what? It's the way you do business. It, to a place where it can all be compatible within certain limits, you know? And uh, and so uh, actually at an, at an early age, see my job is to be the hero of my life. Uh, uh, I mean, I never even thought in those terms. It was so dimensional, the shift. It's like the book, Getting Into Selfishness and Self-Centeredness. Dimensional shift, you know. And uh, and so when I, I read Dickens, and I think about that, and, and it's a beautiful story, David Copperfield, and uh, so many lessons in there. I don't want to get off on, on exposing my su- summary of David Copperfield, but I recommend it, <laughs> anybody that likes to read. But uh, it was a substantial thought, and 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 the same as with uh, I go back to uh, to me the most significant revelation in the big book is when we he gets into in, in step three of selfishness and self centeredness that we found is the root of our troubles driven by hunter forms of self seeking self reflections uh, we we uh, hurt other people we step on the toes of others and they retaliate seemingly without provocation. But the next line is dynamite. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. And I'm thinking, how can this be? I, it seemed to me results should have something to do with intention. because, And I never intended to get up in the morning and say, John, let's see how much crap you can get into today, how many people you can hurt, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I... Uh, I never got up, but those are the days I got. And it says my troubles are of my own making. If they're of my own making, I ought to be able to stop it. But I don't know how to stop it. And again, the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, we got a program for guys like you, John. It's 12 steps. <laughs> you work the steps, a transition will occur. 
and you will have stopped it. And you'll beyond that, wildest dreams, dream it, you can do it, you know, that kind of stuff becomes real. And uh, I, I, just, I love that. I love that. I love then the next thing, my decision at the end of uh, uh, We Agnostics, uh, <clears throat> crushed by self-imposed crisis, we can neither postpone nor evade. We had to fearlessly face problems, and God is everything or God is nothing. This is the PowerPoint again. What's our choice to be? And I used to think, is it as simple as that? I choose God. I'm all in. A vista opens up I never dreamed of. I'm going to say, well, I don't think it's everything, you know. And it's sort of like the response is, I hope you like the stuff you're getting now because you're going to get a lot more. (laughs) You know, and uh, to me that is an inspired book, Wilson wrote. And and as he takes us through the steps on, on cleaning up wreckage, straightening out things, looking people in the eye, walking down the street and not have to cross the street because of them. And, and it's, it's just inspired, you know, absolutely inspired. You talked about your uh, sponsor and the big book a little bit on the front end of this, uh, or before we started chatting on Mike. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Oh, my, yeah, my sponsor was a guy named Clayton B. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a carpet salesman. <clears throat> he was, uh, uh, he became, his goal was, he had a nice job, nice white collar job, and his goal was to be a finished carpenter, electrician, and a plumber. And <laughs> so, uh, and I picked Clayton as my sponsor because Clayton was a guy like myself. He was married, he had children, and it was chaotic world he lived in because of households and raising families, and so it can be seen as chaotic, and yet he thrived in it. He thrived in it. He came to see me the night I made my last call for help to an a, to Alcoholics Anonymous. He and a guy named Wadar came out to see me on a Monday night, October the 18th, 1971, and I was ready for him. And they were ready for me, except when I later found out they knew I wasn't going to get sober. My reputation preceded me. Uh, that, and but <clears throat> what they what Clayton just started sponsoring Wade that day, and so he wanted they were going to go home watch football game, but on the way home they'd stop off and then he could show Wade a drunk me, <laughs> and then they'd go watch the game. It was my point has always been you don't even have to have a good motive on a twelve step call, <laughs> just make it, you know. And so uh, uh, and so long as i'm compressing this down and the next day or two i i said i asked him to be my sponsor he said he would it started a relationship and he said what are you doing this saturday you know i'm living in a one-room dump okay but my first when you even asked me today what are you doing next week i'm thinking i think i'm busy <laughs> <laughs> here i am a drunk with nothing but gatorade bottles and budweiser laying around and uh and, and he and he says come over to my house and, and and so I went over to his house thinking we're going to sit in our living room and have coffee and smoke cigarettes and talk about me getting Patricia back, you know, and, and putting my life back on track. And, and so I got there and his wife opened the door and I said, it's Clayton. And she goes, he's in the garage. And boom. And so I walked back to the garage. He showed me how to get there. And he was back there sawing some piece of wood. And he goes, hold this piece of wood, will you? And and um, what he Clayton did is he made furniture. And so for the next two or three years, every day I spent it sat in Clayton's garage making the ugliest furniture you've ever seen. And nothing that fit, <laughs> nothing that you sat in didn't wobble. And the, and the stain, we thought we could stain anything, but we can't. 
But what, the lesson, this is a critical thing in my life, the lesson I learned doing that was that I was with another person, we were laughing and joking and having fun, and I stayed sober. Mm-hmm. To me, it's, you know, you hear it in AA, it's several, but to me, people would, you're know, like, what are you doing next Tuesday? I'm busy. What are you doing? Well, I'm staying sober. You know what I mean? This is my job. I just stay sober all day. He introduced me to the fact that, yeah, we stay sober, but we do other things. And it's okay to laugh and joke. It's okay to have a good time. And 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 that meeting between he and I in this garage on Saturdays grew to about eight or ten of us in this garage, all cranking out ugly furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, but it was a beautiful experience. you know. And then all of a sudden... I'm thinking, how am I going to get Patricia back with supplant with? If it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. You know, in the book, job or no job, wife or no wife. A man cannot place his sobriety is not dependent on anyone else. It's dependent on God. And I got that then. So... That was in October. So like, what are you thinking about right now? You're I'm thinking about out. Patricia and I getting getting back together. And and uh she's going to Al Anon and she's learning all their Maoist tactics on how to make alcoholics crazy. Maoist tactics. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I say that jo- I love Al Anon. Right. <laughs> I love those people that saved my marriage. But we started we started talking about, you know, she said, what do you want to do? You want to get divorced? You want to get back together? I said, my thinking is, I proved that I can't be married to you and drink. But I don't know if I can be sober and you and I be married together. And I thought, I'd like to try that. She said she's game for it. That was December 1971. We just celebrated 55 years of marriage. God bless you. I don't know why I'm getting so emotional today. Uh, The import, every time I share this thing, the import of that kind of stuff, that kind of a memory, that kind of reality, uh, it just slams home, you know, and I go, thank you, God, it seems so insignificant. You know, it's, uh, it was powerful. In any event, so I don't know how we got over on this trail, but uh, uh, that uh, Clayton was, was critical. Gotcha. In my life. And we formed a relation. Clayton believed anything worth reading and, and knowing about life. You know, on the dust cover of our book, it says Alcoholics Anonymous. And then underneath it, it says the basic text of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So he was of the opinion that if you're interested in the basic text of AA, one ought to read the basic text. That's right. And he didn't get sidetracked with a lot of other books and psychology and different I, and. and <clears throat> And he stressed that. And Clayton got to where he only spoke in, tr- in paragraphs out of the book. <laughs> so if you're going to get to say anything, you learn a paragraph so you could say something, you know. And uh, But it was it was great. And I, I've come to be a believer in the big book. I've burned through eight or ten copies of it. And uh, 
when I came in, the first book that was uh, offered for sale was the second edition. And, I, and of course, my second edition is now in, in a plastic lunch bag because it's deteriorated so bad. And my daughter hijacked it from me. She, she's sort of the archivist in the family. <laughs> but uh, it's a powerful book. And Clayton was the one to stress that. He stressed the big book. He stressed the steps. And everything that every answer he gave was right out of the book. I'm going, give me some different stuff. Right? <laughs> you know? Any of that. It was, uh, it was a great run. Mr. John D., as you know, we prayed at the beginning of this, like I pray all the time, three things. Number one, I prayed that you and I may grow closer to, to each other. Number two, I prayed that we may grow closer to the God of our understanding. And number three, I prayed that we would put something down on this recording that would help people in all four corners of the world. And I believe all three of those things came true. Well, I'm delighted that that would be your observation. It would be our, certainly our goal, I know that. Uh, but if, if we uh, actually put the ball over the touchline on those issues, that would be quite an accomplishment. You have done a great job. Uh, I, you got me uh, tearing up a little myself, Mr. John D. Well, thanks so much, John M. You ever done a... Uh, you ever done a podcast before? No, I haven't. Well, how about that? This is your first. When you got sober in 1971, did you think, you know what? I'm probably going to, in about 48 years, I'll probably be doing some podcasts for right. AA. I mean, I mean, you know, an answering machine with a tape recorder was new. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just so many. Yeah, it's been a great ride. Right. Uh, so I am going to read from page 164 of the big book here to close us out. It says, abandon yourself to God as you mm. understand God. Mm. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. John D., as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. John D., thanks for joining me today. Thank you, John, for the invitation. Isn't that man, Mr. John D., an absolute class act? He has not one ounce of bleeding deacon inside him. He is truly an elder statesman within our society, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I hope that I can be much like Mr. John D. when I grow up. Oh, what a wonderful guy. All right, now on to a little bit of uh, sober speak feedback here. When I, well, hold on just a second before I get there. If, if you are not in the super secret Facebook group, I, I don't know why you're not. I, you, okay, you say to yourself, well, I don't have a Facebook account, John. I don't do Facebook. Well, you could do Facebook just for the super secret Facebook group. It would be so worth it. It's basically all I do on there. So I'm just telling you, if you're not in there, you may want to think about it. And you can send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John J O H N. Yes, it is without an H. Excuse me. It is with an H. Uh, John, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. 
gmail.com. If you're not following us on the Instagram, feel free to do such. We are at Soberspeak, all one word. All right, so now on to a little bit of Soberspeak feedback for you. Steve actually posted in the Super Secret Facebook group, and I loved this post. It, it, it uh, basically talked about a, a, a big part of the history of Alcoholics Anonymous and what it would be like. Well, let me just read it. Here's what Steve posted. He said, what if Roland Hazard's drinking hadn't gone bad enough to go to Zurich to see Dr. Jung? What if Dr. Jung didn't have a suggestion spiritual in nature? What if Roland returned stateside and never found the Oxford group? What if the Oxford group message wasn't about, quote, soul winning, each one reach one? What if Judge Graves never released Ebby into the care of Roland, Zebra, and Shep? What if Ebby never had a spiritual awakening? What if Brooklyn was too far, too inconvenient to go to see Bill? What if Bill didn't see something come, some, excuse me. What if Bill didn't see something in Ebby's eyes that he was fresh skinned and glowing? What if Bill went to the bar instead of the phone at the Mayflower Hotel? What if he gave up after the first call? Oh. What if Reverend Tunks didn't get him in touch with Henrietta Sieberling? What if Dr. Bob didn't go to meet Bill? What if Bill went straight home after his failed business trip to Akron? Let's remember, Bill hadn't drank since mid-December 34, and now it's May of 1935. This thought could go on and on. Think about Ebby and Hank P. These guys were sober to do their parts, to carry the message, to get the big book out, only to get drunk after that. Bill W. summed it up best when he said, on what, sl- on what a slender thread our destiny sometimes hangs. And that was Bill W. at the Texas State Convention in 1954 when he said that. So anyway, Steve, thank you for posting that in the Super Secret Facebook group. I sure do appreciate that. I want to go back to what Bill said at one, at one time, though. I just want to repeat that. And he said, on what a slender thread our destiny sometimes hangs. Oh, and that's true for me in my life with all the what ifs. It could have gone so much different. Gerhard posted in the secret Facebook group. He said, I was privileged to witness my sponsors and his sponsors and his sponsors birthday tonight, 62 years 43 years and 22 years, respectively, holding my hand at nine months. Four generations of drunks on one table. I am grateful for my fellowship. And Gerhard got so, so much feedback in 
the the uh, the Facebook group for that. And thank you for posting that. Gary Kay, yes, our very own Gary Kay, who's on this podcast, posted in the Facebook group. He said, when we hit our lowest point, we are open to our greatest change. Let me say that again. When we hit our lowest point, we are open to our greatest change. And as he said, he heard that in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, here's a post that got an incredible amount of feedback. Uh, uh, it was just like off the charts. I thought we were going to have to open a new secret Facebook group just to handle all the comments. <laughs> but anyway, this was Sarah. She posted it in the Facebook group and uh, it's been a few weeks and, I, and I'm just now getting caught up. And she she's from Texas. And you'll see here in just a second that she sure is from Texas. She said, just wanted to share with y'all um, and then a big heart, big red heart. And she said, I woke up really emotional this morning. My 17-year-old son asked me last night if I would order him a copy of the AA book so he could have his own. He said he wanted to read it. He told me he would love to know more about Bill Wilson and AA. He said, quote, imagine how many lives he has changed through this book, unquote. And then she's got a little praying hands and a little emotional crying emoji. He wants to read it so he can support me better. Y'all, I, fe- I fell apart. He is a good kid, doesn't like alcohol, no drugs. He is a blessing to me. I feel like I'm breaking generational curses as we speak with my higher power's help. I used to go to his football games drunk and put vodka in the Gatorade bottles. Anyone else? Question mark. <laughs> this way of life so much better. Hope this inspires someone to keep going because our kids are watching us, little praying hands. I'm sober by the grace of God, 13 months now. Love to you all, y'all. Keep going. It's worth it. XOXO. And then there was a big picture of her and her son. Uh, it looks like he's on, I'm sure they're on the sideline of a football game because uh, he's in his football uniform. Uh, and uh, once again, she just got so much feedback on that. And Sarah, God bless you. Thank you for helping to keep me sober today. And I'm so glad you put that in there. Cambry writes in and she says, John, I just moved at the beginning of this year with my fiance, Squire. For, I'm assuming that is, is that, I'm assuming that's the fiance's name, Squire, from LA to Belmont Shore, Long Beach, California. Oh, I was just out in the Long Beach area on work. Anyway, uh, she says, he is actually the one that introduced me to your podcast. So he found you first. Well, thank you, Mr. Fiance Squire. I've just, I, I'm, I'm, that's got to be his name, right? Squire. Uh, anyway, and I'm so sorry, Squire, <laughs> if that is your name and I'm talking about it and I'm so confused. 
See, nobody ever gets confused on my name because it's so plain John, J-O-H-N, right? It's kind of good news, bad news. But anyway, so he found you first. We share our sobriety date of January 14th, 2020. They share the sobriety date. That is fantastic. Um, anyway, uh, she says, Cambry says, I'm actually originally from Texas. Hey, grew up in North Dallas. And before I moved to California 11 years ago, I owned a house in Frisco. Small world. Well, I wonder if we bought your house. That could be very strange, couldn't it? Anyway, thank you so much for all you do. I listened to episode 118 with Andrew A. Such a great episode exclamation point keep up the good work double exclamation point recovery has been good to me so far tons of growth and positive changes already i am extremely grateful for the sober community and all the resources we have access to i have been attending both with my fiance who i'm assuming his name squire and individually aa meetings and we have found a sponsor. So she goes in uh, meetings with the fiance and individually as well. She said, I did steps one, two, and three over a four hour meeting last weekend with my sponsor. And I'm meeting with her again tonight to begin step four before our women's group meeting tonight. Looking forward to the journey. So grateful for you and the podcast and all the bits of wisdom in it, Cambry. Well, thank you, Cambry, and thanks for helping to keep me sober today. God bless you. Bert B. Okay, so she knows I can't pronounce her name. She even says something in this email about it. Bert is from Norway. Over there with all the feeds. Uh, anyway, no, I say Norway and Sweden are two different countries. I am so geographically deficient. I am so sorry, Miss Bert. Uh, but, but anyway, hi is B I R T E from Norway. She says, Hi again, John. Here comes some listener feedback from Norway. I just heard an episode with you on. AA Beyond Belief. Yes, I have been on that podcast. And I found your episode with John, and I found your episode with John S. on Sober Speak. My two regular podcast companions meet. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have been on each other's uh, podcast. And she says, I'm not a believer. But I get a great deal from both traditional AA and alternative AA. Norway is more secular than the United States, and at our meetings, we find many variants of a, quote, higher power, unquote. At first, I reacted to all the talk about God, but now I see it as a part of my work with the steps accepting everyone, regardless of my faith. Very well put there. I hope we all have a place in AA. I am now the chairperson, and by the way, we do. I am now the chairperson in my home group, and I will receive my nine-month coin tomorrow. Fantastic. Bert, Bert B, but anyway, I forgot to write how heartbreaking the story of your mother was. It made a deep impression. Well, thank you. It's a, uh, boy, that was a long road, and uh, oh gosh, I miss her. I miss her. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to go off on a tangent about me. This is about your listener feedback. And she says, looking forward to more episodes of Sober Speak. Warm greetings from 
Bert F. The I is pronounced as it is, as you would in give. So Bert, Bert give. So if I were, oh, I, that doesn't help me. I don't know why. I'm so sorry, Bert. Uh, and B, B, B I R T E F. I am so sorry. I am butchering this left and right. George writes in. In the title of the, uh, what do you call this? Uh, the, 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 uh, the email communication was Jimmy D. And he says, hi, John, with an H, big smiley face. I am, oh, so here's the reason I wanted to read this is because I've told you all before that if there's any of the speakers you want to get hold of, uh, you know, uh, I, I can get you in touch with them. And this is, this has happened four or five times now where people will write in and ask me if they can get these particular speakers to come out to their location. He says, I'm a committee meter, committee member of the Wayfarers, Wayfarers speaking meeting in Vancouver, Washington. It's close to Portland. We have been around for about 35 years. I've been listening to your speakers for several months. Um, I've listened to most and some lots of times. Good stuff. We're always looking for speakers. I'd like to talk to Jimmy D as a possible guest for our group. We meet once a month, the second Saturday of each month, and we generally have about... Uh, 250 to 325 uh, attendees. We have uh, uh, Al-Anon family groups, uh, Alateens. Uh, then we take a break, hold our raffle, and then the AA speaker for an hour or so. Anyway, he's talking about all this. And basically what I'm saying is, if you have listened to Jimmy D on this podcast and you're interested in seeing him and you are up there in that area, my guess is he'll be coming up there sometime soon. And I just wanted to let everybody know. And once again, if you have a request to reach out to one of the speakers I have on this podcast and you want to bring them in for something else, uh, by all means, let me know and I can get you in touch with them. All right, everybody, that is a wrap for another week of the Sober Speak podcast. I take it one week at a time. I will most likely be back next week. Until then, God bless you. Love you. Thanks for listening in. And if you have been inspired by this episode or any of the other episodes, please pass it along to either a friend or a family member. Just pause your little device, hit the share button, and you can send it on along. God bless everybody. Adios.